podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Guys, I'm Sai, and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation, the home of the Andy Campbell Football Show. This is Series Two, Episode Number Four. We are live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Ace Podcast Nation, of course, your home to many great shows and series featuring top guests, expert analysts, and more. Please do give us a follow on social media. Subscribe to that YouTube channel. Click the bell for notifications to get all our shows first and foremost. And of course. The audio. We are now part of the Sports Social Podcast Network, the UK's first dedicated sports network. You can find all of Ace Podcast Nation shows, including the Andy Campbell Football Show, including the Andy Campbell Championship Show at the Sports Social Network. And uh, you can have a look at some of their other uh, podcasts by visiting www.sport.social.co.uk. Uh, they got lots of different shows and series on all sorts of sports and whatnot. And uh, this year, we are supporting a charity, Super 6 Prediction League, raising money for two fantastic charities, Maggie's Centre, which is a cancer charity, and, of course, Mind, which is a mental health charity. There's a number of ex-Cardiff City players you can compete against. There are also cash prizes for the league winners. The first round started over the weekend. Uh, I believe I got the Swansea score bang on, just so we know. And uh, you, but we'd love as many viewers as possible to get involved. If you do want to join, I think you could still join late. Uh, you could join the Facebook group is in the description below, or contact Will Melush, who I think you'll find in the live chat this evening on Facebook, uh, and he'll tell you all about it. But uh, we are very happy to support them uh, and the charities, of course. So get involved. Let us know how your predictions did, and uh, of course, a big thank you to Black Diamond Sports as ever for all their support around the channel and the shows. Uh, they're a global sports agency which represents sports stars from around the world. For more information, you can visit their social media and, of course, their website, the links to which are in the description underneath the video. And uh, today's sponsor, as ever, Dan Ralston and Bespoke Financial. Uh, Darren is giving away free will worth £140 with any new policy which is taken out 
please do check him out and give him a call. Do not miss out on what is an incredible offer. He's looked after Andy for various policies over the years, the critical illness, the injury cover. They are top of their field. They provide award-winning service, and we are very proud to partner with such a brand. If uh, you need further information or you need that Darren's contact details, you can get them from myself or Andy. And, of course, I believe they're in the description as well. Uh, and I urge you to check them out, see if they've got a service for you. Uh, and they will do everything they can to help you, especially if you say we sent you to them. Next, and the, the main event, some would say. I'm very happy to introduce, first and foremost, my co-host. He is the goal collector, the fox in the box, still the king of the Millennium Stadium. He is my co-host, ex-Card City and Middlesbrough striker, the goal machine, Mr. Andy Campbell. How are you, my friend? Good evening. Yeah, no, look, I'm really excited for this. Um, I think the word legend is is branded about too easy, but uh, tonight we are going to talk to uh, a proper legend uh, for a football club and to the game, I think. is uh, I think inside and out, genuinely nice guy uh, and can't wait to dig deep, uh, so to speak. But uh, great weekend of football, by the way. Um, I'm still buzzing watching the Middlesbrough game yesterday, to be honest. Uh, I think every Middlesbrough fan going to Fulham and getting the result was uh, was nice. Nice to uh, see a, an average squad um, at the minute uh, pick up a good point against a very good side. Yes, indeed, mate. 100%. It's a great result. Uh, but you are right, and I'm very excited to welcome. He is a bona fide legend, the original one-club man, the scorer of that goal, Cardiff City legend, Mr Scott Young. How are you, my friend? Yeah, good evening, lads. Uh, thanks again, Sonia. Looking Great forward to it. Great to have you on. I think, uh, I think, I think, first and foremost, though, that I think the group chat side will have to deem um, which goal was the most important. Uh, I think it's the only, it's the only fair way. I think it's the only fair way with us, with us both being on the show. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, but which one, Craig? Which one? Which one was the most important? Come on, come on. I'm, I'm not bothered either way. I'll be honest, but. We all know which one. I'm giving it to you, mate. You know, I'm giving it to you. <laughs> you know what, right? Do you know what's really, really, really good? And, and, and this is something which is, is, is stayed with me since since that day. Um, the goal was, was great, but it was a celebration straight after when the final whistle went. You always remember, I remember that the first people who came up to me, you and Gav Gordon, and it was just, that meant more than the goal meant because we were such a, I think such a tight group. And uh, and especially when we hadn't been playing a lot that season and uh, and we were, you know what I mean? We were in and out of the team, a, a few of us. Um, and you know what I mean? I've been injured, you've been injured. And you, you get to know people a little bit more and you get close to them a little bit. And I think that was key. That the first team and some of the players who play regular had that relationship. But I think off the pitch with the, with the banter and the, and the things that went on um, off the pitch and off the, away from football, I think was we had a really good group. And, uh, and you know what I mean? That's always stuck by me. And it's something that... Uh, and I said to Gab Gordon when Gab was on the show as well, that uh, always stuck by me. That and you, you just remember the little things sometimes in your career. Yeah, no, certainly. I mean, like you, say, like you said, I mean, there's a few of us that you suffered, you know, had some serious injuries and didn't play a lot, but it just meant so much to us all as a group. Like you said, we're quite close as a, as a team as a, and as a group. And, you know, that day at the Millennium Stadium will you know, stay with me. And it's up there with the Leeds game and I didn't even play. Um, you know, the celebrations after and that, um, the team and all the fans together, it was just amazing. And certainly stay with me for the rest of my life. Yeah, I know. Obviously, we're going to talk about that because uh, and and more. Uh, but obviously, I know uh, off the pitch we 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 played hard and partied hard. Probably partied even harder, which is great. Uh, team spirit and all that. And I know we're gonna we're gonna dig deep. But 
Um, obviously, I think it's important, side that we we start the show like we normally start it, and we uh, and we get the viewers to get to know uh, Youngy even better with a few uh, a few nice questions. I think. Yeah, it's a bit difficult because normally when I do the Magnificent Seven, I throw in uh, like I ask the the guests to choose between two football clubs that they've been at like the most. So it's a really difficult question for them. But Scott's been. Was at Cardiff for his whole career, so it makes it a bit trickier. But I'm sure I could uh, find a, a grenade or two for him. We'll have a go. But uh, let's go. Magnificent seven for Scott Young. Okay, Scott Young, magnificent seven. Nice and easy to start. Messi or Ronaldo? Uh, Ronaldo. Favorite TV show? Uh, Narcos. Watching Narcos at the moment. Like Good shot. Uh, managing or playing? Um, playing. A lot easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the most hostile atmosphere you ever played a game of football in? Other than Indian Park, the Den. Here we go. Uh, angriest teammate? Willie Borland. He's come up quite a few times, yeah. And, and do you know what? I seen him not so long ago and, t- and spoke to him about him. Even when even when he came on, we we asked him the same question, and, and I just I couldn't keep a straight face because he knew he knew what we were going to say straight away. That he's, it's just his name keeps coming on. It's not a bad thing, and and this what me and Cyborg said to him like it's just funny that it keeps coming up. Brilliant. This is outstanding. I love that every I love it every time it comes up. I just, I, I, it makes me smile every time his name comes up. Um, Gabidon or Collins? <laughs> oh, I'm gonna have to go Gabidon because he's, um, he's my golf partner as well. So I'm gonna go Gabidon because yeah, he's yeah. otherwise. And uh, and then the final question is: uh, it doesn't have to be football related, but uh, who is the greatest Welshman that's ever lived? Um, tough question that is. For me personally, and what he's done for me, um, I'd say my dad. Good shout. Good question. I, I, I haven't seen my old man in the in the questions yet, but my I, I pick my old man because I think it's it's such a such a broad question. But it's, for me, it's a personal question as well. So it's like it's a, it's a it's a it's a fabulous answer because that's it's absolutely bang on for me. Spot on, mate, hundred percent. We had a little, uh, little super chat there from Gaz. He says, uh, "We'll never forget that FA Cup game versus Leeds. Absolute carnage, and that's from a hammer." Ninian Park was one of the UK's great grounds. Sadly missed. Okay, well, not really for West Ham fans, also, because West Ham used to get trolling every time. By the way, we used to have a really good, uh, really good record at Ninian Park. I think, especially during my time. I don't know what it was like before I came, but I think we batted him a couple of times midweek, at least four, a couple of times. It was. Uh, it was always nice to play on a night against West Ham. I think it's the ground, mate, isn't it? I think, like, for for fans who kind of grew uh, grew up in football, watching football in, like, the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, it's those grounds like Ninian Park. They're proper football grounds. Um, and, you know, I understand the need for changing football grounds to what they are now. But, to me, it'll never be the same as Ninian Park, even though it was falling apart and... You know all the all the things we've discussed before. Like it's a special place for me. Like that's where I saw my first football matches. You know, in in person uh, with my old man and stuff like that. It's things you don't forget. But like 
Scott, what what's your memories of Minion Park, particularly uh, as a, like a younger younger guy as well coming through? Yeah, obviously it's, it's, it's a special place for me, and you know, um, I remember signing there as a, as a schoolboy, as a, like a 13, 14 year old, um, and we used to train there every every Monday and Wednesday, um, everything off the pitch, and you know, just working. In, we used to work in the tunnel and the corridor, going down to the change rooms, doing weights, you know, press ups, sit ups, everything like that, and just the sort of. It was just so special just to be training in the corridor as a 13, 14 year old. You know, they're my earliest memories of, you know, Gavin Tate, um, who's our youth team sort of coaching, putting us through our paces, sort of off the pitch. Um, and then out onto the track and doing laps and laps and laps of the of the, of the the pitch um, on the old sort of dirt track there. But um, like you said, the place was falling apart, but you, yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't change any of it. Did that give you an appetite, though, to want to get on the pitch, so to speak? You know what I mean? You've done the stuff in the in the corridor. You've done the stuff on the track. Did that give you the appetite to go one step further? Yeah, and like I say, it was a corridor leading off the first team change room, and we used to go into the change room um, and obviously work in there as well. And, you know, when you walk into that change room, for me as a Cardiff City fan, and, you know, what you're thinking, like, you know, Paul Ramsey used to sit there, Carl Dale was sitting there and I said, well, this is where I want to be, you know, and yeah, yeah. certainly sort of drives you on, you know, those memories you know, will stay with me forever. And the first time I walked into that change room um, to change on a match day was, uh, you know, special. How did you, you feel? You spoke there though. What about, so is, is that what made you stand out from the rest then? You know what I mean? Because you must have had some other good, good footballers and um, good lads in that group uh, who, potentially Warner made it uh, and Warner gone to that next level. Is that, is that what made you stand out for the rest that you wanted it more and you wanted to join in with that group and you wanted to drive your own career along because of your love for Cardiff City? I think there's a, there's a number of things. I mean, my um, apprentice group, I think it was eight or nine of us got taken on as a pro. Um, some of us earlier than others, but um, listen, if I'm being brutally honest, I think the difference for me was my mentality. Um, my drive, I wasn't the most naturally gifted footballer, um, but my driver mentality was the big one for me. Um, and I think it's massive for, for young kids these days as well. But and the other one, it's a bit of luck. It's an, make no bones about it, you know. An injury in the first team um, gave me the opportunity in my position. Um, and then it's down to you to take it then as well. So I think, you know, these young lads, you know, you've got to be in the right place at the right time as well. Um, but certainly for me that stood out I can remember like that was my mentality I was so driven to to be a pro at Cardiff and to pull that jersey on it was, uh, that's so interesting that is um, Scott because Andy's said quite similar about himself a few times over the shows and like you've commented saying maybe you weren't the most uh, technically gifted footballer but your desire and your your attitude and your you just your focus and your application and desire to want to be a professional footballer was perhaps you know higher than other people's. Um, and I think obviously Scott, you've worked within like youth systems as well. Like that, that can make such a difference to a young footballer in it. Like you could be the best footballer, and I see him even in some of the younger academies. When I've been watching my boys, you see some of these boys, and they are unbelievable footballers 
but their attitude is not great in various different ways and you just wonder whether where that balance is like where it's going to go is their attitude going to hold them back or is there a technical ability and their natural ability going to take them through and it's interesting to me i don't know what you think from working in the youth yeah. systems i think it's even more so important these days you know um especially at clubs at championship level and above and even so in league one and league two you know these players at the young age are given so much now. Um, you know, everything's set up for them. Everything's ready for them. They haven't got any of the, you know, the cleaning of the stands, the boots, oh, and all don't, that. Don't so, start me on that now. I get yeah, really, it. Really so, I mean, their mentality needs to be spot on. And listen, you know, these players now have been in in academies for like, at the age of sixteen. They've probably done nine years in an academy. Um, yeah. So, no, there's certainly a lot more better players around, I believe, now, technically. Um, so, you know, you're competing with that, but mentality might be the one that stands you up from the rest. That's my thoughts on it as well. I, listen, I, to I totally agree. And I think uh, what, you was, what you just said there, Youngie, about um, about the be being better players within the group, same as me when I was growing up in Middlesbrough, nobody wanted it more. Than, than me to wear that red shirt for me at Middlesbrough was something that I'd always dreamed of doing and and I knew that if I wanted it more than anybody else I'd, I'd run over me my grandma to do it you know I was just I just I was so driven and determined to get to, to get it done and I've seen that uh, in abundance with you you know what I mean that you use your attributes to to make you stand out from the rest you know what I mean that I've always said and I've said on this show said on various other um, platforms that I was never technically very good, but the attributes that I had made me stand out from other people because I use, I utilised them and used it. You know what I mean? You can't teach somebody to, to be quick. Um, you can get a little bit quicker, but you can't teach it. I don't think you can teach people to be as determined and to be a sometimes to be a leader and to, to be a winner. You know what I mean? That's that's inside you. Um, and when I see that card is sitting in yourself and in other players, I know we laughed and we joked about Willie Boland and things, and um, and and I love the answers coming in. By the way, because I think it's uh, it makes it, but it made him stand out. You know what I mean? That that. You could guarantee that if you were on Willie's team in training, you'd win that. You'd win that five-a-side game, or you'd, or you'd, or you'd, you'd, you'd come close. You'd have a, you'd have an enjoyable training session. It would be a horrible training session, and you'd, you'd feel as though your ears were burning, and and I'd, I'd hate the drive home because I used to, be able to drive a jet car with it going home, and it'd be a, be a nightmare. But <laughs> you'd always guarantee the win because he was just that kind of, he was just that kind of driven person, and and his, his mentality was just like that. But I know, I know, we we've had this grumble here about. Um, Pontins League football and under twenty three football, which for me it didn't do me any harm growing up and playing against men. Um, I think I would have hated to to get to a certain age and still be playing against people of my own age or younger because I think men make you adaptable. It, it makes you grow up really quickly, and it, as I say, it, it didn't do you any harm. Me, Willie, all those kind of people who came through at the same time. I think it was uh, just like for like, and it made us probably hungrier to to, to get back and to get in the first team quicker. Yeah, I think he's spot on. You, you know, he likes a willy ball, and like you say, he trained like it was his last training session every day. And that's the biggest compliment I can give him. You know, he never left anything out there in whatever he done on that football pitch. You know, and he dragged people with it, which is the biggest thing. And I don't think we have that in our society. You know, leaders, communicators these days as much. You know, I think. But do you think it gets taken out of people, like kids at a young age, like they get told? So, for instance, on Parks football now on a Saturday, at the until you play league football at like under 12s, under 13s, they don't even want you to keep score 
and keep track of who's winning football. And like, I do get the importance of inclusion and making sure everyone enjoys it at a young age. Of course, I get all that. But being competitive is good. Being having that competitive drive to want to be the best that you can be personally and as a team is good. And I do feel like as a society, we're trying to take that out of people. And I think yeah, certainly, I mean, uh, for me, it's got to come in within. But in terms of the team environment, uh, you know, I think it's good to have a blend of everything. So, you know, there's times where, you know, you just want to go and play and enjoy it. And that then is you have competitive matches. So if you get a bit of everything, especially at the younger ages, um, it's like individually, I suppose, if you if you're a good centre forward at the under tens and they want to play you up at under twelves, whatever, um, and they play you up there for the whole season and you don't get a shot all year, that's not good for your development. But it, it may be that you're stepping back down and at under nine level or something, and he has four or five shots and scores four or five goals. That's obviously good for him. So I think it's got to be a good blend of, you know, the competitiveness, you know, and yeah the other side of the game so they can develop as well of course yeah yeah and i think um one thing they do very well now at, at, at community and parks clubs and in academies and development centers is they teach kids to be technically good footballers like even kids who are not in academies now you'll see loads of them who are excellent footballers you know much better than you know back when i was playing as a kid at, at that age it was basically just kick the ball over the defenders yeah. and the strikers or the wingers would run onto it, and that was the way was, the that, game was played. That was, Lenny, that was Lenny. That was Lenny and Butters. Lenny. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one thing I will say, um, uh, which I believe is wrong, and I'm hopefully they, they're changing it now, is that you know, in these elite academies, you know, there's no competitive leagues under 18s. Yeah. You know, you expect them to compete in the league under 18 and then go into a first team environment and win every week. You know, they can't just turn that on at the age of 16. So that's got to change. You know, we need to we need to be competitive from a young age with a balance as well, I believe. That's, that's I, 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 I totally agree. We've, we've spoke at length about this, Yumi. Um, I think it's so important for, for children and everybody, every, every person who plays involved in sport, that you, you can't win every week. And it's it's about handling defeats. It's about, it's about managing games. You know what I mean? That's what it is because it's it's one week you might you might lose or you might be losing, and it's about handling how do you how do you adapt you in a game if you're losing, and you need to understand that feeling. And likewise, if you're winning, it's not it's it's about hanging on to a victory. It's about because when you get in the first game, you don't hang on to something. You won't last five minutes with a manager nowadays if you're not if you're not ready for it. You know what I mean? You need to be ready for it. You need to have that feeling of of what it's like in your stomach that you're in the last minute of a game that you're trying to hang on to a victory, especially a centre half. Because what's the point if it doesn't matter if you let a goal in? Yeah, every goal counts. Every goal matters. You know, I just don't. I don't like it. You know what I mean? I think I understand why they do these things. I understand why they're trying to put them in place, try and make it more enjoyable, and trying to um, get players to be technically better and and improve in, in, in from minute one to minute ninety five, which is great. But for me, I think you've got to. It's about managing. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, obviously, I've left Cardiff now, but at, at the end of sort of my time at Cardiff, I think that realism was coming into the academy more and more. You know, in terms of you know seeing our games and doing it the right way, because you can't switch that on at 18, no, 19, 20 when you start playing first team football. You know, it's an art. You know, to see how the game, slow it down, make the right decisions. And certainly at Cardiff, they started doing a lot of that sort of scenario based stuff, which is is pleasing. 
Yeah, no, no, listen, I totally agree. Just just on the point, because I, I can't miss it out, because obviously there's a there's an influx at the minute of, of young Cardiff City players hitting the first team or the squads or the national teams at every level. How proud is it uh, being an ex-coach to see these kind of players and being given an opportunity in the first team or the squad or, or national teams? How, 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 do, do, you, do you take a step back and, and be proud that, you, that, you, that you've made an impact on those kind of players? Listen, I get asked this question sort of day in, day out, obviously. Um, living in around you know, South Wales and Cardiff and people see me. But listen, the credit goes to the coaches who have been there for the last six, seven, eight years, working with these kids, you know, day in, day out. He likes to Dane Facey, Tom Mittens, people like that, you know, and we've sort of been there from day one with these kids and worked right through. And now the club is seeing, you know, the fruition of all these lads coming through. So... No, it's credit to them guys. Obviously, uh, I've done little bits with the def- you know, defensive departments and stuff like that. But these guys are the ones who go up with them day in, day out, and it's a credit to them. Um, but now, do they get enough credit, Youngy? In your opinion, do they get enough credit? These these um, the coaches do they get enough credit? Because obviously, the manager gets credit for putting them in the first team because yeah. he, he believes and he listens. But do the coaches yeah, get enough credit? Both, yeah. Listen, you got to have a manager first and foremost who's, who's brave and uh, and you know is willing to take a chance on the youngster. So you know, fair play to Mick and. Um, who's doing that now but yeah the coaches need more praise because you know they're the ones who've sort of the, the, the produced these kids to be fair and you know people talk about Craig Bellamy I was around when he first came to the, to the club and sort of he was a big part in uh, sort of changing the the academy sort of outlook in how we play and the, the, the culture and the style so you know it's credit to all these guys who've been there for the last like say five, six, seven years for me the other thing as well is like, and I think it's probably been a gripe of Cardiff fans a lot, probably since Aaron Ramsey left, is that they've always they like a you know like a homegrown player, as you know, Scott. And I think we have felt like there's been a couple of younger players on the brink of first team football, and they'll have they'll get to like the bench of the first team, they won't play, and then they'll get released for next to nothing. And it can be very frustrating as a as a Cardiff fan. But then equally, the end of last season and this season, you've suddenly got like two or three in and around the squad playing in games. And I think that automatically gives fans a lift to see these guys who've come through the club and the system. It's just there's just something special about those players, I think, isn't there? Of course. I mean, of course, I've been there and come through that sort of system many years ago. But um you know, when uh, you walk up as a first-team player, homegrown first-team player, you know, the fans are straight away on your side. You know what I mean? It's not like, you know, Cam's that, you know, come from a different club and sort of earn his reputation. You know, an homegrown player will get that straight away. You know, they're on his side. They'll back him because they want him to do well. And they want everyone to do well, obviously. But it's just a special sort of connection, I suppose, with, with an homegrown player. And listen, we've got, you know, quite a few, you know, on the fringes at the moment and it's a great opportunity to get sort of some more Welsh blood back in that, you know, in that uh, first team, really. 100%, mate. I want to uh, I want to ask you about Ruben Corwell a bit later on, but um, before we do that, we're going to, uh, we got, I got, see, it's my fault. I got distracted by Ninian Park memories <laughs> and uh, I threw myself <laughs> off my schedule. Um, but uh, we, we're going to do something in uh, Scott. It's called Tell Me Why. And um, basically, I put two questions to you and Andy. Uh, neither one of you know the question or the subject beforehand, and you've got 60 seconds to discuss uh, what I put to you. 
And as the guest, you get to decide, would you like to go first or second? I'll, um, I'll let the main man go first. Go on. I'll follow on. There we go. Do you know right. what? I, I, think oh. it's, I think it's tough for going second, to be honest. But no, the not. question is, I'm, I'm going for it. I think I'm going to have a guess. Can I have a guess at a question? Go on. I'll go, for, I'll go on Messi. Uh, he's involved in one of the questions, but he's not about. The, it's, it's not about him. It's not about it's him. It's all over for the last two days. But he is mentioned in it. But uh, all right, tell me why. Here we go. Okay, so Messi is leaving Barcelona. You might uh, not have heard uh, Andy, so I'll just let you know that. Um, but it also, Sergio Aguero today was announced that he's out for ten weeks with injury. And apparently there's up to 10 players rumoured to be up for sale at Barcelona. Barcelona looking quite a pickle. Discuss their season, their potential aims, and uh, what a tough job, or not, that uh, Ronald Koeman has got. And as your 60 seconds starts now. Um, I watched them last night against Juventus, actually, and I thought... Uh... They looked absolutely excellent. Uh, they had some good young players, but I do believe they're in a mess. Uh, they're in a mess, obviously, financially. And I think from an, an outsider looking in with, uh, obviously, TV deals and, and sponsorship deals, I think uh, it's going to take a lot of work to get their reputation back, which I think is a shame for all the hard work that all the players have done. There's Abby's, the Iniesta's, uh, the Piquet's, the Messi's, you know, and then you can go back to Rivaldo's and the Ronaldinho's, etc., and the Guardiola's. But for me... Uh, you can only look at what's current, what's going on now. And, and, and like I said, I watched him yesterday and I thought Depay was excellent. I thought Jordi Alba. They've got the spine of the team still, which I think is important. They need to keep hold of. But I think reputationally-wise, I think they're really, really shot to pieces. And I'm, I'm, I'm really worried for them going forward. Ronald Koeman didn't look in a, in a great... Um, a great look of health as well, which is uh, which is probably understandable with uh, with the stress that has been put on the football club over the last uh, few weeks or few months. And uh, two seconds left. We'll lay you off. Lay you off. Lay two off. seconds, mate. Lay, lay you off. off. Two seconds. That's a question, that. that it is difficult. And apparently, Aguero's not happy already. And uh, as sort of indicated, there was rumours. He'd indicated that he might want to go. He didn't come on yesterday, and I, and I wondered why. He swapped shirts with um, uh, Benucci, and uh, and he just looked. He just didn't look very happy. Obviously, he must have been injured at the time, but there's obviously a reason behind that. But he just didn't well, look very happy. From his point of view, he's Argentinian. It's his last big contract of his career. He's signed to play alongside Messi, I'd have thought. And Messi's well, the family, on his way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he signed there on the on the pretense that he was going to play alongside him, and he's and it's going to be a friendship and a family oriented club. But Kelly the says the grass is not always greener. Yeah, Kelly says there um, Aguero's not even registered yet for Barcelona. So could he be? Well, could he be a? A future fiction question or like a pub quiz question whereby which footballer signed for Barcelona and never played a, a league game or something like that. Be interesting. I, I think he, he's injured now, so he was probably there. But uh, Scott, same question to you, mate. And you've got 60 seconds to discuss that in now. Yeah, well, listen, I think first and foremost, you know, Barcelona over the last sort of 10 years have, have been the top of the game. But I think over the last sort of two, three years, or even maybe a little longer that you've seen this coming sort of thing sort of the, the fall from grace is sort of continued sort of year to year and conference with um, Messi leaving yesterday and all the players there and all that and I think that's going to be the biggest impact in, the, in, the, in this football club you know I, for the next year or two I see a massive rebuild um, 
do I see Kuman as the right man? It's a tough one, like Andy says. He doesn't seem to be in a good place himself at the moment. Um, so, yeah, they've got a massive rebuild on their hands um, in terms of losing Messi and just you know, in terms of the fans itself, what that sort of means to the fans. You know, it's going to be, you know, a tough old year for them. Um, and that's, uh, but, that's your 60 seconds there, mate. So, I want to ask you both a question. Andy, when you left uh, Borough, being the hometown hometown lad, did you hold a press conference and uh, and cry? Um, no, no I, I, I think I had I think about twenty five minutes to, to, to get out of the building. As soon as possible. <laughs> get out, <laughs> chased out, chased out. Because I was quick, I got out really quickly, so I was all right. I was quite uh, safe as I was. Well. <laughs> I was I was gutted to leave, but I, I don't think it was needed to what what I saw yesterday at that kind of level. Listen, I think we're and I think this is what people's gripe for me is. Why doesn't he stay and play for free? And part of me thinks after watching that yesterday that he doesn't obviously want to leave, so play for free. Because if you're that upset about leaving and he loved that club so much, you play for free. You know what I mean? If I, if I was fit enough now, I would play for Middlesbrough for free tomorrow. You play, so, play for 25 grand a week, can you? Do you know what I mean? He'd play for free. I'm, I'm sure 25 grand a week would be difficult for him to manage, but... I agree. In five years' time, they might have money again, so they might be able to get paid in directly, or there might be a... He might be manager in three years' time, but I'm not sure within, right this is not any sort of legal rule that you can't take that such a pay cut or something. There may yeah, be but, something but, but, but surely though, Youngie, that's that's down to the player. If the player if the player wants to, I, don't I, know, agree, with like, I agree with let's everything. Say, let's say he signs for he signs for Paris Saint Germain, and Paris Saint Germain offer him a hundred grand a week. I don't know what he's getting paid now, but I think it's more than that. But let's yeah, he yes. gets paid hundred grand a week. Yeah. Well, he's taken a pay cut already. So if he's going to take a pay cut, he he won't take a pay cut. By the way, I'm just. I'm just surmising that, that this kind of thing is there. I, I just doesn't watch for me. I just think yeah. FIFA, the delegates, the the associations, for me, they don't need to get involved. If the player wants to stay, let him stay. Uh, if he doesn't want to stay, then let him go. It's, it's that easy, really. There may be a big... There's another question behind it. Is there something else going on in the background? You know, yeah. he, want, he wanted to leave last year. Yeah. So, you know... Uh, so Kelly says, Kelly says that apparently he can't because they... Uh, they can't register him because of how much money they owe to the Spanish government. And I think that's probably the, it's to do with the Spanish fair play rules. There's something going on with Barcelona and the, and the government and the La Liga. And it just seems to be causing all sorts of issues. But, you know, it, I mean, we've seen I, football clubs, when football clubs are in financial job. trouble, players take pay cuts, don't they? Like it's a good job, Derby. Good job, Derby County aren't uh, aren't in this mess, then, isn't it? Because uh, they'd be they'd be screwed for life with the, with the, the troubles they're having at the minute. True, I said, mate. I mean, it's just I just don't understand it. For me, it, it, it could easily be resolved if if the but then you've got the, the individual. Because I'm sure Messi's had, uh, had had his own personal issues with tax and stuff within the within the industry as well within Spain. So maybe that's another issue that he has to get out. I I, I don't know. You know, it, it looks as though. He wants. He wants to stay, but obviously he can't. So uh, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, well, mate, he gets paid like one million pound a week uh, with sponsors and all the bonuses and stuff he gets. So I'm pretty sure he's going to be all right financially wherever he goes. Going um, <laughs> back to Barcelona though, for a sec, because you know you, you talk about Aguero signing there. Listen, he's been in in and out of Man City injuries for the last two years. You know what I mean? So that tells you a little bit where. Barcelona are as a club as well, I think, sort of bringing someone in. Listen, Premier League, he's, he's ripped it up for years and years, but he's coming to the end of his career now. And yeah. 
injury after injury. So I think it tells you where Barcelona are at the club, as a club at the moment as well. I totally agree. And I think that's Spanish football as well. So I, we spoke, you know what I mean? It, it sounds like that the Spanish football federation have, have, have moved to a TV deal and got Gary Lineker and Steve McManaman and all these kind of ex-players and really good footballers involved. But the best footballers on the pitch are leaving, leaving and going, going away. So it's going to be a... It's going to be a strange thing. It's like they're doing everything backwards. But hopefully, yeah, listen, Barcelona and Real Madrid are world-class football sides and squads and teams. So for me, I, I, I hope it's not the end for those kind of clubs. But if it is, the then one, it is. Yeah, the one thing I will say is may, I hope that in 10 years' time, uh, Madrid and Barcelona are still two of the biggest clubs in Europe. But I hope this is the beginning of money within football like around the whole world becoming a bit more realistic and just becoming it's got to, it's got to pop at some some point and just get yeah. back to being i'm not saying get back to like like it was in the 70s or something where footballers are not getting paid very much i'm just saying let's make it a little bit realistic and not be playing football as a million pound a week um that's ludicrous um so this question i think will be a bit more difficult for andy than scott but we'll see um, so the question is, uh, Wales's World Cup hopes. Uh, Bale is desperately out of form, seems unsure and unhappy at Madrid. Uh, it's a, plus, you've got the strange time of year. The World Cup's being played from November to December this year. Um, Wales's group at the moment, they look all right. They look like they could qualify. Didn't play particularly well in the Euros. It's going to mix in with the season as well. Um, so I'd like to discuss that. Um, who was first? Andy, you were first, mate, weren't you? So uh, your 60 seconds as an Englishman. Discuss Wales and the upcoming World Cup. Your 60 seconds starts now. Um, first and foremost, it's not the manager's situation. The manager has got to be, they've got to appoint a manager and the manager's got to be given um, an opportunity to select his own squads and things. So the earlier they can do that, the better. Um, if that is paging, great. If it's not and they keep Ryan Giggs in, it, it's not going to work. And we spoke this about the, in the in the Euro show. Um, the players are a little bit up in air about, about, about selections and things. And you've got players who probably weren't in the Euro squad who want an opportunity to get in the in the World Cup um, it qualifies to, to, to progress in the World Cup squad for me I think it's a, it's, it's a real difficult one but the manager's got to be there first and then you've got to qualify um, it's not going to be in the easiest group but Wales have done it before um, and I believe with the passion which is evident every time you see the players play they want to play for the shirt and they give everything and more for their country which isn't always the case within the home nations in my opinion uh, and I put England in that bracket you know what I mean? Wales seems to just run through a brick wall every time they put that red shirt on which is just just amazing I hope like I've always said I'm a, I'm a British fan I love all the British teams to get through it makes yeah, it so, so much that. interesting that's a hard question though it is a difficult one um, but yeah I look forward to hearing Scott's views on it because as a as a Welshman as well um, but uh, so we'll have a chat about it in a minute but Scott your 60 seconds on uh, Wales and the World Cup and such starts now yeah, first and foremost, I agree with Andy. They've got to get the manager's role sorted ASAP. And for me, I mean, I give it to Pagey. Um, I think the way he sort of managed himself and the and the group in the Euros, he was you know, he was second to none. So yeah, that needs to be sorted. In terms of the group, I really fancy us to qualify. If and the big if is, we we have to sort of keep our best players fit. And they have to be playing, so that includes Ramsey at Juventus. It has to be Bale at Real Madrid. Those type of players, you know, Harry Wilson now at Fulham. 
you know the the lads sort of playing at the top of the game. They've got to be playing week in, week out, and and the most important thing is available for the international sort of get-togethers, the camps. Um, if we can keep our sort of strongest players on the pitches at the right times, I believe we've got a great chance of qualifying. And then, like you say, um, when we get there, then there's, there's numerous That's other 60 problems. seconds as well there, Scott. Um, you make some good points there, I thought, both of you. Um Few people in the in the chat saying they felt like Robert Page was a little bit out of his depth in the Euros. I thought, I thought personally, he did some good stuff. I thought he did some not so good stuff. Um, but either way, they got to make a decision. They have to decide what they're doing because it is leaving everyone a little bit up in the air. No one quite knows where they stand. Um, Reese asked a good question, and I'd like be very interested to hear both you guys because you can both have a slightly different take on it. So I'll ask you, Scott, first. Reese says, what's your thoughts on the Welsh FA's insistence on hiring Welsh only as for the Wales job? Do you think that should be a thing or do you think they should just get the best man for the job regardless? Obviously, the best man for the job is always the right man for the job. For me, um, if, he, if he's a Welsh man, that's even better. Um, I think we have a lot of quality coaches here in Wales. Um who seem not fit the bill because they're Welsh and they haven't got, a, you know, a European background or whatever and that. But there's certainly enough good player, uh, good coaches and managers who are Welsh who are capable of doing the Welsh job. For me, I'd love to see a Welsh man in charge. Is there someone who sticks out for you if you if they, if you were you had to pick and Robert Page was not an option? Is there someone who you who jumps at you and you think straight away? Um. Not, not off the top of my head. Um, I'd have to have a think about it. And obviously, would you give someone like Bellamy a go, or would you think he'd be better as like a on the coaching staff first? Um, obviously, Mark Hughes went straight in, didn't he, and did a pretty I think good if, job. If, if Bellas is going to ever take over the Welsh job, you know, he's got to go straight in as a manager because Bellas is his own man. Um, you know, he'll do it his way. He's got his sort of mindset of how he wants a team to play, how he wants a team to set up. So. You know, someone like Craig, I don't think would would be of a value going in as a number two. I think he has to be number one. Um, he needs to be a leader. He is a leader, and uh, yeah, would I give it to Craig? Yeah, I think so. And maybe not this campaign, but you know, in a couple of campaigns when he's had more experience uh, of being out there in the football world at the top level, then yeah, certainly he's he's, he's certainly a future Welsh manager for me. Good shout. Um, Andy, I'd be interested to hear about um, like your views on the Welsh kind of... They do tend to, tend to try and go for a Welshman to be the manager. Um, what's your take on that? And if there's anyone also, if there's anyone who for you who sort of sticks out for that Welsh job, if it's not Robert Page. Uh, you're muted, mate. Uh, I think it's so different to what other countries do, and I'll, and I'll use England as an example, that I don't think England's passion is the same as a Welsh passion. So, you know what I mean? To have a non-Welsh manager fronting their team, I think wouldn't be as it wouldn't be as good choice as it is for England to do it. You know what I mean? England, I, I, you see the players when they're, you know what I mean, when they're, when they're doing the national anthem, you, you listen to the fans, and it's, yes, it's passionate, but it's not as passionate as, as, as the Welsh fans, and sometimes the Scottish fans, and I think um, with the the group of players that England have to um, 
to pick from. I think it's, it's probably a no-brainer because it's worldwide. I think um, I think the Welsh manager has got to have an insight into uh, into, into British football, especially Welsh football. Um, I look at the, the younger players. I look at the David Brooks. I look at um, those kind of players who um, who were playing uh, the Harry Wilsons who I thought was fantastic yesterday against Middlesbrough. You know what I mean? Who are now platforming themselves week in, week out with, for me, the Premier League too, which is a very good standard of football and, and, and it, is, it would be a great progression for them to go and play in the, in, in the full squad week in, week out. Um, I, I'd like to see Pagey get it in the long term. I'd probably like to see him having some help um, somewhere down the line from somebody more experienced to give him that. Um, that's what it looked like for me in the summer that uh, I think when he was out of his depth a little bit that he just needed someone to ask a question to. That's someone who, who, who he's used to um, getting that advice from. Um, whereas for me, I think that experience you gain over the years. But I think for me, he's a person, if not a dual role with somebody else. Uh, if it's a Bellamy, then great. Because they know the players inside out. They've, they've been in the academy systems. They've been in the Welsh system. They know all these kind of players. And for me, it's it's a no-brainer because the, 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 the young players in all the academies and the young players who got selected for this tournament, they're the future. You know what I mean? It might not be Qatar, but it might be the... Um, the 24, the 26 World Cups and, and, and things, it's, it's, you've got to look a little bit further ahead than just the next World Cup because the next World Cup might be a little bit too much too soon in terms of qualification and success because if they're going to get knocked out straight away, then sometimes it's, it's best not going. You know what I mean? Because the, the reputation for Robin for, for himself as a manager and a coach, it, it could be to his detriment um, and his reputation. So for me, sometimes it's about taking a step back to progress forward and, and I think that could be best and I, I know everybody, every Welsh fan would hate to hear that but I think the times that England haven't made the World Cup or the Euros it's been the best thing you know what I mean it's been horrible for two years but it's been a good thing in the long run mm. because the fact they take a step back and realise what's not working and what's well, not working is the coach or the manager or the players Well and that's probably around the corner for Wales if we've been honest you know with Ramsey and Bale Yeah they'd have to find a way to play without them wouldn't they? So and there's, there's one guy I've got Steve Cooper um, well, that's a few people have said in the chat, which is interesting because they've all clarified it with, even though he's a Jack or ex Swansea manager, but they've all said like Steve Cooper would be a, quite a good shout for a Welsh manager. Um, so yeah, there's if there is a few options that I think of of good coaches. Uh, I think it was Donna said Andy should take over the Welsh job. Uh, a couple I've of people adopted said, Welsh, Anna. Adopted Welsh. yeah, that's him. I've, I've, only, I've only been sacked twice, so third time looking at <laughs> you could have Scott take over. You and Gabs had a little stint in management for Cardiff. Could you take, take away the oh, job? My job laid back, then too, would be. I know, man. No. Um, <laughs> I am going to the opportunity to be laid back when I'm with Gabs, trust me. Oh, my God. <laughs> and someone, <laughs> someone else said uh, Oshan Roberts as well, who's obviously just joined Patrick Vieira's uh, coaching staff as, uh, with Palace. I think he he's such a good assistant. I think with Oshan Roberts, he'd be perfect to go in alongside someone like Bellamy, who's going to be, you know, a young manager. But Bellamy gets a very mixed reaction every time we've mentioned demand on these shows about yeah. the, the Wales job or even the Cardiff job. You always get like a load of comments of people saying either yes, definitely get him in there, his passion, his desire, his professionalism, and then you'll get another load saying he'd fall out with his own shadow. He'll, you know, there'll be issues, there'll be this, there'll be that. It's very, very like a 50 50 split all the time. Um, well, I think that's me, a, is, a, is a person, though, because I think as a player, if you ask the whole of football, the whole of UK football, 
Craig Bellamy would have had him in your team. It's, it's like Marmite. It's, it's 50-50. It's, it's people love him or they hate him. You know what I mean? It's, 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 when he's in your team, he's the best thing since sliced bread. When he's against you, he's a nightmare because he's... He, yeah. He's like Robbie Savage, you know what I mean? And I, it's I his desire people's... to win as well with Bellamy. Yeah, and, 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 and to be fair to him, to sort of improve and his knowledge of the game is second and then I mean I remember as young kids you know when we were playing for Wales in the 21 you know once the summer two would be over they'd be off going to Marbella or whatever it may be and you know Bellas would be going maybe to Holland to study the game and stuff like that you know from a young age he's been so dedicated to, to sort of knowing the game inside out and you know I think certainly in the future he'll, he'll definitely be a Welsh manager. But I think that's for me. That's so important, though, because you see his own development as a as a, as a coach. Obviously, he left Cardiff under a little bit of a cloud. But then for him to want to progress his own career, he goes overseas to go and progress himself. Because overseas for me is the only way that the players are doing it now. You know, what I mean, the lads are going over to Holland, to yeah, Belgium, yeah. Germany um, to better themselves technically. Managers and coaches are doing the same thing because you can learn so much in England. But England's a ruthless business. You have a bad six months in England, you lose your job. You know, and you don't get another one. You don't get another opportunity in. Overseas in, in Europe, you'll, you'll get at least a season um, and then maybe a little bit more to uh, to progress yourself through. And, and because you've had a good career like he has, he'll probably get a little bit more time. And when you're linked with um, the Cardiff job every time the manager gets gets a sack or a coaching job here or, or, or at the national team, it's because he's doing a good job and because he's got a good reputation. You know what I mean? And for me, it's going to happen one day, so people are just going to have to back it, suck it up and get on with it because he's, he's think, good yeah. enough to get you're spot on to be fair and you look Steve Cooper Greg Bellamy they need the project you might be that one where they have to take a step back to go forward again it may have yeah. to be like a two three year project you know to get yeah. back to where we want to be yeah. well we, we, we spoke on the Euro show side didn't we about um, uh, about the the experienced players of, of, of when do they cut the cord you know when do they decide that we're not going to pick the, these kind of players anymore because we're going to go down there the youthful route, they're going to have to do it sooner rather than later. Is it after Qatar? For me, I'd probably give them the last little swan song, last chance to qualify, last World Cup, because, you know what I mean, it's, it's, it's a stone's throw away with it being in, uh, in in just over a year's time. So give them the opportunity to qualify, give them the opportunity to play. And then after that, just maybe integrate them into into helping the young lads develop. Still have them around, uh, on the coaching stuff and, and, and stuff. But for me, it's you've got to move on sometimes. I think that's why it's so important to keep maybe Pagey there now as well. You know, he's, he's just got okay. new roles and it's a short turnaround to the World Cup. He knows the players inside out. You know, there's a group there that he's going to work with. And then, you know, hopefully he goes on and does well at the World Cup and things change then. But, you know, we'll, we'll see at that stage where we're at. I think with them, with Bale and Ramsey specifically, like obviously Bale is 32. Um, and I think due to the type of player he is, he's lost a yard of pace. He, the injuries he's had, I think he's very unlikely to play another international tournament after this World Cup, isn't he? So that will be a swan song. With Ramsey, Ramsey's 30, and I actually think he could play for Wales for another two, three, four years. But I also think he might choose to retire at some point to prolong his playing career because of the types of injuries that he's had. He's had a lot of like muscular injuries and things like that. Um, and you've seen, you know, footballers over the over the time have, have, ta- have taken that decision when they get to their early 30s to prolong their club careers, um, rightly or wrongly, is, you know, it's by the by. But I think Wales, ultimately, after the Qatar World Cup, one way or the other, will have to learn 
how to play without Gareth Bale and possibly Aaron Ramsey, but also people like Joe Allen, um, who have been vital to the way Wales play football over the last 10 years. Um, they've got to find a new way. And I think some a lot of Welsh fans, certainly who I've seen in the comments and on social media, don't think some of the players who played in the Euros are the answer to that question. Um, and maybe some of the players who were on the bench and didn't get enough playing time could be the answer, if that makes sense. Um, we've got loads and loads of questions. Um, so I'm going to throw to a couple of these very quickly. Just last one on Wales. Uh, Reese says, here's a question for you guys. Uh, what if we fail to qualify for the World Cup? Who takes the blame? Is it Giggs or is it Robert Page? Oof, it's a difficult, uh, difficult one. It all depends what you know. The Welsh FA are going to do in the next couple of weeks. Obviously, they've got to make that decision, you know, of the next manager, um, and then whoever they appoint the manager. If it doesn't go well, then obviously they've got to they've got to take the blame for that, really. But it's up to the sort of FAW now to make that decision quickly for everyone, and then we move forward. Yeah, I think. It's, it is. It's, it's, I feel so sorry for Robert Page because he's in the impossible position. He's getting judged on the teams he's picking, yet there's a question mark over if it's him who's picking the teams. And then there's also he's in a position. He's in the position that he's in because of what's gone on with Ryan Giggs, which makes that more difficult. Um, Andy, well, like, what do you think? Do you think? For me, like for me personally, I think Robert Page takes no blame whatsoever. For me, unless he takes over the job on a permanent um, basis. In the circumstances he took over the job and how close to the Euros it was, you know, for him to get us out of the group stages, I think was was an achievement in itself. Um, in a touch of such a sort of difficult circumstances for him, you know, to get us out there, and I think he deserves the chance to take us forward. Certainly do. Yeah, listen, I to- I totally agree. I think. Uh, I think it was quite evident and obvious that it wasn't all his his choice. I think uh, you know, I mean, running up to the running up to the tournament, it was there was still a, a question mark on what the um, what the authorities were going to do with the with the case, and then what the FAW were going to do, and um, and then obviously the decision was made that it was going to it was going to run with the team. But who picked the? Did he still have a? Was, was the squad picked early doors? You know, I mean, what, what was in his mindset? Did he did he add a couple of players to it? Did he did he pick the? Um, the nucleus of it. Listen, for me, I agree with Young. He's got to be given a, a, an opportunity now to pick his own squad. So if he's named as manager, he picks the next squad for the for the qualifiers. Uh, and I know in September the one is three. Um, so it's a big chunk of of your qualification. So this this next month without getting fit players and um, you both said it about about the lads playing regular games. So you know what I mean. If you've got the David Brooks and you've got the Harry Wilsons and you've got other players who are fit and flying and, and ready uh, ready to go and attack, then for me, throw them in. You know what I mean? If you've got lads who aren't playing, then for me, it doesn't matter how big they are, if they've had great careers or, or the young lads. For me, it's about hitting the ground running with, with, these, with, these, with these kind of players who are playing in form. And if that's a manager's job to pick it, and you live and die by the sword, you're young, he's been a manager, um, still is a manager, and it's all about results. And Paisley knows it. And if he gets a job, he's not stupid that he knows that he's going to pick a squad and a team to win a football match. And it doesn't matter about results. Qualifying for a World Cup, when it gets to the World Cup, it doesn't matter about results again, uh, performances again. It's about results and, and churning them through. And um, I agree with what you both said. We said it on the Euro show side, didn't we? That what an achievement it was to get out the group. And yeah. the next game against Denmark was just one step, one step too far. And um, to travel in, um, probably not team selection, but how the game went and 
you know what I mean, and, and, and twisting a little bit and trying to get trying to get a goal back when you probably didn't need to. And uh, listen, it, that's by the by. But the qualification of the group was first and foremost. Anything after that was a bonus. But it's just for me, it's about progression on and, and giving him an opportunity. And for me, I think he deserves it from how successful he was in the summer. Yeah, listen, I, I grew up with Pagey. Obviously, he's a Ronda boy, and um, so we know each other well. With sort of similar ages and that. And listen, there, there won't be no other guy who works any harder getting that job right. You know, his passion for Wales and, and Welsh football is right up there as well. So, you know, and it's easy to say that, but, you know, I, I totally sort of think he's got to be given the opportunity to, to sort of take the, the, the team forward after the, the Euros. Certainly it's do. interesting you said that though, I want it because we said it in the, we said in the Euros show, um, uh, I can't remember which game it was. It might have been the game that the that the second game that they realised that they were they were more or less through with with the amount of points and the way that that, 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 that it felt with um, the final game. That his reaction after the game it, it spoke a thousand words for me. You know what I mean? His reaction when the final was when he knew he knew what he'd achieved and he knew that no other person in that stadium in that in the world wanted it more than he wanted it. And the desire just just came out of him and it was just. Just so pleasing to see because I say I've only played with him for a, a short space of time at Cardiff, but it was absolute pleasure. Um, you know what I mean? But you could tell that his desire to play for his country was just super evident. You know what I mean? He, he would wear that that shirt with pride. You see him singing the national anthem when he was a player. Um, you see how passionate he was to be to live in in around the area. So for me, it's a no brainer. Give him it and and let him have that opportunity to uh, to showcase how good he is. And listen, on top of all this, I mean, we're talking about his passion. Listen, he's a good coach as well, and a good manager. Yeah, so yeah. let's give him yeah. the credit where he's due. You know, he's managed yeah. top players like Bill and Ramsey, and got the best out of them to qualify from the group. So, yeah, and he's and he's and, and he's an angry man as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, <laughs> love you, Paige. <laughs> Yeah, I think for my, for me personally, I think uh, I did. I agree with everything he did in the in the Euros. No, but did I? I do think he did enough to show that he deserves a, a proper go at the job. Yeah, I do. I think he did uh, enough to, to to show that. Um, and I've also heard that he's an exceptional coach. Um, so, you know, is where it is. Um, okay, some questions. Uh, Donna Perry says, Scott, who do you think is the most driven footballer at Cardiff City currently? Oh, good question. Obviously, I haven't been in around the first team for a while at the moment. So, from the offset, obviously, you know, the skipper, Moza, um, what a man he is, what a great leader, you know. Um, so, he, he'll be right up there for me. Um, the way that he leads the group and he, the way he is off the pitch as well as on the pitch, um, which is just as important these days, you know, with sort of big squads and keeping people together and all that. So, Moza will be right up there. He'll be he'll be right up there for me. Good shout. Um, I think it was the question's gone, but I think it was Rob Boyle asked who was the best keeper you played in front of, or which what was your favourite keeper to play in front of? Um, good question. Actually, yeah. I mean, Marty Margson, um Obviously, he joined us and sort of played in front of him for a short spell. Uh, and obviously he's now gone on to be England goalkeeping coach from that. Um, he was up there. Listen, Neil Alexander uh, on his day, he, he was, you know, one of one if not the best we've had over that period where we were successful as well as a, as, a, as a club. So, but I'd have to go with Marge. I think Marge for me. 
with that, with that question, Yuri, what, what, what makes a good goalkeeper behind you? What makes it easy for you to then take for a defender, that Trust is a big right. one. Uh, yeah. Communication. You know, the simple stuff comes, you know what I mean? You just, yeah. you know, you know if we're keeping a, a decent line and I know he's going to be in a good position behind me to sweep up behind us, you know, the trust of us to keep a good line then. Crosses coming into the box, communication, you know, talking, that type of stuff. Yeah. That's all no, you're asking. Yeah, no, listen, I totally agree because I, I see, and, and listen, I, I know I know Marge inside out, same as you do, and, and, and I know you won't take credit for um, the wonders of Jordan Pickford, for example, but the, the, the work he must have done with Jordan in the summer um, and pre-tournament because I thought... Uh, as in the Premier League, I thought as a goalkeeper, I thought he was he was he was poor. Uh, I thought he made so many errors. He had, he, had, he had zero confidence. So for someone to work with him day in day out, hour in hour out, to to see obviously that the meetings that goalkeepers had together, the work they did pre-training, post-training, um, he needs to take huge credit for it. You know, I mean, not just with Jordan, with the other goalkeepers he's, he's bringing through as well. You know what I mean? And, and helping out because he's doing a great job at Swansea. Um, mm. I know that's a swear word on here, but uh, he's left. He's actually left. You know it. Yeah, I know. So, but it's credit where it's credit where credit's due, and I think uh, I think like, like the answer you've just given about uh, you don't like to take credit about young lads coming through, and, and, and coaches do say this, managers say it, but listen, I'm giving him it because uh, as a, as a proud Englishman to see the strides that that one goalkeeper's made in the summer was just phenomenal, and the goal and the goalkeeping coach and other coaches and. And mind coaches and psychologists and whatever that they have, their sports scientists, they've all got to put their role in the same pot and say how successful they've been together because it's a phenomenal job he's done. Phenomenal. Uh, listen, I'm obviously quite close to Marge and speak to him quite regularly. And obviously, it was one of the reasons when sort of I took over at Cardiff, we brought him back to Cardiff as a goalkeeping coach. And you know, what he is, he's, he's a master of the basics. You know, and for goalkeeping, that's massive, you know. Just the basic, you know, making saves, right place, right time, and he'll go into great detail on just the basics, which is, you know, it's phenomenal. You know, the way he works, um, you don't see very often, if I'm being honest. And even down to his set plays, you look at the, the sort of set plays he's done for England. You know, defensive set plays, at Swansea. I think it was like ridiculous stats over the two years that what he, you know, they conceded in terms of goals from set plays and that and, and that's just his fine detail of the basics of simple man marking maybe or goalkeepers making saves you know the detail he puts in is, is a credit to him to be fair he's, he's done really well if you speak to him next do you want to uh, if you need any tips on singing the national anthem I can I can teach him I'm, I'm, I'm happy to uh, I'm happy to teach him it I've been on to him all year there's, there's two <laughs> things you can't do is sing that national anthem uh, Listen, and, and, and this is this is one thing I feel sorry for for coaches and, and, and people because England have gone for the best person to do that job. So they've gone yeah. for they've gone for a Welshman and a proud Welshman as well, which yeah. it must be such a, a difficult situation at, at, at certain times and, and and the national anthem is one of those uncertain times and difficult times because when he's when he's stood there it's it does look a little bit uncomfortable and 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 some people say disrespectful, but I, I don't because I know him and I know he probably is as a Welshman. But yeah. it's like when you say uh, a Welsh manager standing there not singing the, the national anthem, yeah. I think it would be, it doesn't work. And I think coaches can do it, but I think sometimes a manager's got to be fronting it up for everybody, all his coaches, and just bellow out for everybody. Yeah. And I think that, that for me makes it up for it. 
No, listen, his passion working with England is, you know, is right up there. You know, he, he loves working, obviously, alongside Gareth and that as well. So, um, yeah, he's enjoying every minute of it. Cardiff been blessed with um, some incredible goalkeepers, in fairness, over the last 20 years. It's just been keeper after well, keeper. It's been well, sensational. I didn't play with him, but whilst I worked with him, Marsh, David Marshall. Unbelievable. Wow. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, you're right. I, um, I, my boy's a goalkeeper, and I see how much work like he puts in as a 16 year old. Like the the goalkeeper training is, uh, it's not, it's so different to the rest of the team, and the intensity and the drills they just do on repeat and repeat and repeat to prepare themselves for games. And like Andy mentioned, Jordan Pickford, you could see the difference which Martin Markson's made to Jordan Pickford's game because he looks like a different keeper. Um, so let's uh, get some more of these questions. There are so many, some of them have been cut off. Um, I saw someone just say then, um, I definitely I forgive me, whoever it was, but they said, uh, they'd uh, they want to hear some stories from Scott about the days at the uh, Cardiff and Ninian Park rather than talk about Welsh football. They they want to hear some stories from you, Scott, about the good old days. So, I mean, I guess the easiest way to kickstart that is to talk about that Leeds game, I, I guess, is the. That's the obvious place to sort of kick us off with that. Um, how it, how intense and uh, hostile was that atmosphere? Uh, to be fair, it was incredible, and you know it's, it's twenty plus years I think now since the game. And but you know, just I can remember walking. Well, not even walking up. I can remember being in the tunnel, ready to go up for the warm up. The noise and the atmosphere out there, was, and it's like forty five minutes before kick kick off, which is rare. You know, the atmosphere normally builds up with 15, 10 minutes to go. But it was 45 minutes to go before kickoff, and we just about to do go up for the warm-up, and it was incredible. And when we went out, I just thought to myself, wow. You know, the ground was like three quarters full um, with 40 minutes to go, and they were singing, they were loud, and it was just so intense. Um, it was incredible. And, it's easy for me to say, and I've said this a numerous times whenever I've talked about this game. Um, sort of the biggest, sort of, what's the right word? Um, well, put it this way: we were standing in the tunnel before the game to go out for the match, um, and I used to be sort of two behind the goalkeeper. And I can remember just looking at Cavs. Obviously, Cavs was leading us that day, and he was giving it a bit to a few of the Leeds boys, and you just felt. At that moment, that something special was going to happen that day, it, you know, you could just tell that you know the atmosphere it was intense. They were a bit on edge, uh, looking at them in the tunnel. It was certainly like a day I'll never ever forget for numerous reasons. You, on it, it, pitch. Yeah, it's funny that you, you just said that because we've asked that question to about three or four, maybe five people about. When was the moment that you realised? You know, I mean, people people have said different things. We spoke to various people about um, about people's attitudes, about about Rio not fancying it, about about people going off injured because they just weren't up to the fight, and they knew straight away from the attitude, from the from the, from the way that the fans were that the, that that. And you see the Leeds players that was since obviously since that game and came out about um, their um, comparing it to Galatasaray and and, and that kind yeah. of atmosphere, and you know what I mean. It gives you as a player. It gives you so much of a, of a boost, doesn't it? You know what I mean? To, to to kick on, it gives you that extra percentage to just 
just energy to, to, to go and win a football match. Yeah, uh, that's exactly it. I mean, the last 15 minutes, you know, we probably was all out on our feet, but we had so much energy in us because of the fans and the, the intensity around the stadium. It, it, and we talked about Gav Gordon talk, that day. He deserves immense credit, you know, the, the way he put himself about and upset the Leeds back four from a, from the start, really. You know what I mean? It, it was everyone for a man were bang at it that day. And oh, ultimately, I think we wanted it more than Leeds on the day. And that was the difference, really. You know, we've we, we spoke to I mean, we obviously we had Gavon and we spoke to Willie, we had Gavon. Um, it's 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 the unsung heroes, young, isn't it? You know what I mean? Because it's and, and you've been there where you're, you, you're winning your headers all the time, and you and you and defenders don't always get the credit, it's always the center forward who, who come and get the glory. Yeah. But it's 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 like you just said there, giving the credit to someone who just tirelessly works the back four, tires people out, gets in people's faces because that's what you've got to do, you know what I mean? With the uh, with the Ian Hart and with the Rio Ferdinands and uh, I, can't, I don't know who else. Was it was it Woodgate as well playing centre-half? I think They've got it, so much quality comes. If you yeah, don't know after them, they, they're going to rip you apart, aren't they? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, they, they, well they, were, they, were, they were what, semi-final of the Champions League that year? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So they, they were that good. You know what I mean? They were, they were to a man. Not, not just the team, by the way, the squad, the, the bench squad. they had, yeah. the management they had. Everything about that football squad at the time was a, was a world-class football team you know, with the wrong yeah. power, with, with the best of the best. You know what I mean? So... To beat to beat them comfortably, you know what I mean, in your in your own backyard was just something to be proud of. It. Um, I, I was I was quite lucky because I'd had I'd had a couple of whispers and, and conversations with, with Corky um, a, a week before that game. Um, so obviously I watched the game. I, I probably would have watched it anyway, but I watched it a little bit more um, closely with with what was with what was going on. It just it, it made me just want to go. Just just go and sample the atmosphere and. When you say there about the about the Cardiff fans, I sampled it on my first game in the in the league, and there were probably was probably I think there was probably only about 13, 14, 15,000 there, and it was it was just an unbelievable atmosphere. How passionate they were, I just couldn't believe. How loud they were, I couldn't believe. Um, how hostile they were against the English teams, which I just couldn't believe. You know, what I mean, I just I'd never really sampled it before, and um, but I think you get used to it very quickly. Um, that it's in your favour and it's so hostile for the opponents to go and play there and yeah, yeah. not many not many teams went to Ninian Park yeah, during my time and got got the better of them um, yeah. you know what I mean there were some bad times obviously playoff semi-final against Stoke City which was a, was a, a horrible night yeah. uh, for everybody but I wouldn't say the blue was away it was just one of those things that go in and just it it the yeah. whole dynamic of the game but going back to how fans the fans just drove that football club in certain areas, you know what I mean? Right next to the away fans behind the goal, on the Bob Bank. Oh, it was just, everywhere where you looked, it was just, the fans were just absolutely super, super. Um, James Cossey says the Leeds game was his first uh, first City game, which one, makes me feel exceptionally old, but two, <laughs> that what a game to start your... What a game! Football. What a game, what a game, what a game to start your, like, your football viewing. Uh, that's simply incredible, that is. Um, However, though, Sam, However, though, how do you how do you emulate how do you better that how do you better? Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, it? exactly. It's all downhill after that. Everything's been downhill since yeah. football's been horrible. Wait for the Millennium Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> now, football's been horrible since, but blessed. Yeah. Well. <laughs> um, Scott, Sam, a man, obviously uh, an interesting chap, interesting character. Um, do you remember the first time you met him? Yeah, obviously. The man is, you know, he was he was fantastic. What he'd done for the football club, first and foremost. But um, 
just a pure crazy man. And he, you know, you never know what he'd be doing day in, day out. And yeah, obviously, the, one of the first times I ever met him, I was fortunate enough to be um, one of the first players when he came in that um, they wanted to offer a new contract. I think it was about three or four of us, maybe Jason Bowen, um, uh, Mark Bonner, I think, and one other maybe. So yeah, that was my first sort of conversation with him. Um, which we we didn't agree on really. We didn't get very far on the first meeting, uh, and the sort of contract negotiation went on for about four to five months, I think. Um, and to be fair to him, he's offering us you know, at the time, you know, a substantial pay rise um, to sign. But um, for some ridiculous reason, he wanted to give me a goal bonus um, when I was fighting for a clean sheet bonus for months and months, and um, he wouldn't give me one. He just wouldn't give me one. Um, and about four months later, um, I've told this story many a time, uh, he sort of tripled his goal, his goal bonus for me. And I was like, mm. I didn't score goals. I haven't scored for like five years or whatever. Um, and I signed the contract. I can remember I signed the contract on the Thursday, on the Thursday morning. Um, and I scored on the Saturday. And I scored two on the Tuesday after as well. So I scored three goals in a week and I hadn't scored for five years. <laughs> so he went mental on me. Absolutely <laughs> mental. Um, probably cost him at the time probably six grand, I think it was, in a week. Um, he, was, he, was but he was brilliant. He was brilliant for the club. He was brilliant for the players. You know, day in, day out, there was always things going on. And I remember, I'm not sure if he was there, Cam's, uh, Ernie and... Doing that, we used to have the, like, the circle in the morning, uh, keep ball, and then after that, he used to bring the boxing gloves out and he used to like, chuck two in the middle at Land Rummy, like Ernie and Leo, and they used to have a tear up for 10 minutes. <laughs> each other. And we'd all be betting on who'd, who'd give up first, and he was just crazy. Some of the stuff he used to do, and I mean, the second the second day training at Land Rummy, um. We've all showered, ready, had our lunch, ready to go. Mom. Every car in the, in the cup out, uh, the tyres all flat, every single one of them. Um, and he opens his boot and he's got about 10 foot pumps in there and he's selling them for 50 quid a head. <laughs> <laughs> and, random, like, <laughs> stuff like that. You know, he used to do it every day, you know. I remember Corky, Alan Cork, is, is a, a nice little office at the top of the tunnel, um, just by the first team change room there. Corky um, went on for the day. Um, he goes up to the local farmer, gets a couple of sheep, and puts them in Corky's office overnight. Corky <laughs> walks in the morning, there's sheep mess everywhere, all over his desk, <laughs> everything. And that's the type of guy he was. He's just every day there was something. But it was great. I just, I, I just think, though, Sai, it's how many of those kind of chairmen are involved in football anymore? I mean, Youngie's just hit the nail on the head about, about about how good he was for the club. You know I mean? For me as a player, it took the pressure off playing, you know what I mean? Because you yeah. knew good, bad or indifferent, however performances, results were going, you know what I mean? You knew that he would come in and he would he would lighten the mood. You know what I mean? The time that he'd come in the change room and, you, and you, every time you see a chairman in the change room, it's never good news. It's either players are getting battered or a manager's getting sacked. He yeah. would come in the change room and he would make a joke or do something and everyone would just forget about what just happened and I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing I just think it's just so different and different's good sometimes different's good but it was good for us because it made it made us a talking point within the players within the group within the fans within probably Welsh football at the time um, and probably 
UK football, I think, was, was so good. And you know what I mean? I, I know he obviously got banned from walking around the stadium uh, and the grounds after after the Leeds game, but he's done it. He did it before that. So you know what I mean? For me, sometimes it's if it works, why fix, why, why fix it? No, yeah, you're spot on. He, he was. He was. He was so good for the club, and you know, obviously saved the club. You know, and if I'm being brutally honest, I mean, I think the three men we can sort of thank more Steve Borley first and foremost for saving the yeah. club in the early 90s when you know he dipped in his own pocket to save the club then Sam and Man has come on and taken it to the next level and to be fair you know obviously Vincent Tan has taken it to the next level as well so you know it's credit to all of them to be fair I don't think um, Steve Borley gets enough credit for what he's done for Cardiff over the years um, I feel like he, he kind of sticks in the background a little bit but like He's done so much over the years to keep the club going and to keep keep the club safe. He's he's, he's a big part of the club, obviously, and he's the glue who holds it together as well. At times, you know, what I mean, he's he's like you say, he likes to stay in the background, but he is the man, you know, especially in terms of the academy and that, and does a lot for the academy. So, uh, no, for me, Steve Bowley is is Mister Cardiff City. I, I, sorry, I just want to—I just want to finish off with a bit of credit for, the, for for those three people you just mentioned there. And I think all three of them, for for various reasons, for me, deserve a huge credit because everyone always focuses on the negatives. When Sam left, the negatives were focused on. You know what I mean? Vincent now, you know what I mean? The, the, all the negatives which which has happened throughout his time. And listen, he hasn't got everything right, but the thing he got mm. right was buying the football club and still holding on to the football club and pushing them onto the Premier League and pushing them towards the Premier League where we where we are currently. So, you know what I mean, for me. I think fans sometimes always look at the negatives because it's easy uh, and it's easy to blame someone at the top, you know what I mean? Like managers or players or, you know I mean? Each other um, instead of, instead of just pushing together in the, in the, in the same direction. But for me, all three, what a fantastic yeah, job. Well, all you're, you're right. This, you know, obviously it'd be easy for me to fall out and, but he obviously sacked me from the first team and that, but you know, if you look at the bigger picture, you know, the, this club is a big part of my life and I'm a, Massive Cardiff City fan, I love it, and what he's done for the club in terms of the money he spent, you know, credit to him, he's he's taken us to another level. Yeah. Well, and um, what I was going to ask you, Scott, is after that Leeds game, uh, what was your reward from uh, Sam Man? Anything? Did he give you give you like a, a a present or a prize or a like just was it just a big hug? No, I think he actually did. I think he's probably done the same for cams in terms of maybe your football boots cams. Did you get yeah. him gold plated? Like gold plated. Yeah. See if yeah. I can. Uh, yeah, I've got my, I've got my, my, my right here, uh, right next to me. Yeah, so mine gold plated there. Yeah. So he's oh, beautiful, beautiful. He, he sort of done 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 the original boots for me, um, and obviously uh, then he had a spare uh, for himself done. So. Um, they, my dad's, you know, my dad's looking after them at the moment, um, and they were special for me. Obviously, the boots I actually scored the goal in. Um, and I'll, 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 I'll be honest, I didn't think I was ever going to get them back. He took them back. He took them off me straight after in my, in my news conference. He took them off, in my press conference. Sorry, he took them off me as we were sat there. So I, I walked back to change them with no boots on, and I didn't see him again for about well till pre-season. And I came back and he gave me them back, and I didn't think anything of it until probably about three or four weeks later. After that, he, he brought them in, and I was. I was made up. I was absolutely just gobsmacked him. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And that, and that, 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 that was the man for me. That was just him all over. And he, he wanted to take a few of us out the night after the Leeds game. Um, but like I always did, I used to have a quick beer with the lads and I'll always be back 
up the valleys. Um, obviously, my mum and dad had the pub at the time, so it was, it was time to go back and see all the boys and have a few beers that was, with them. That was a quiet, that was a quiet one. Oh, mate, I can tell you a story for that one. <laughs> and to this day, I can't find the interview at the moment, but we was talking about it the other day. Someone was asking me, um, my mum and dad had the Collier's Arms in Trialo, and we went back there, and um, it was like quarter six in the morning, and I was still at the bar. We were smashed. Uh, my missus says, we quit, but we've got to go home. You know, we've got to get home. So we get home. I jumped into bed about quarter of seven in the morning. <laughs> about five past seven, my missus is pulling the blinds up. I said, what are you doing? She's got to bed. Uh-huh. She said, you better get out of bed. And there was about four or five sky vans outside the house ready to do interviews with me. Uh, listen, I've been on it for about 10 hours, I think. I was oh, absolutely no. smashed doing the interview. How have I done it? I'm going to find it. I've got, I've got, I've got to watch it. Brutal. Good times. Amazing times. Cade asked Scott because um, he's got a he's got a big thing about like football memorabilia and stuff. Um, he asked earlier on about um, have you got like uh, or what's your favourite shirt that you swapped with a opposition player? Um, obviously, um, in the early days, we didn't really swap shirts because the, the club couldn't afford to have new shirts. Uh, Ian, 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 Ian Lanham was too tight. He wouldn't give us anything. Yeah, he was too tight. It's a good question, actually, because I've just um, I've been digging my old shirts up. I mean, I give a lot away to the families and that. Um, but the one I have kept is obviously um, the Leeds game. Um, that's in a frame together with uh, with Fowler's shirt. So I was fortunate enough after I knocked on the Leeds sort of dress room and Robbie was still in there and he dug to the bottom of the uh, the kit skip and gave me a shirt. So um, they together in in a frame. Stinking dirty, haven't been washed or nothing, so they're uh, with the place. Quality that there, and, and th- those are the kind of things I'll say, aren't they? You know, what I mean? it's memories, memories that no one can ever take away from you. You know, what I mean, your own shirt, Robbie's shirt, you know, what I mean, because you're not about a proper footballing legend there, by the way. You know, what I mean, the, yeah. the, the name God, you know, what I mean, he was given for, given to him for a reason, you know, what I mean, because everybody yeah, yeah. was a footballer, so you know, what I mean, absolutely treasured memories. So, yeah, he's obviously up there. And obviously my Welsh shirts, the the twenty one shirts and the B shirts, and a couple of times they were sub. But obviously um, special to me. I was um, going to ask you about that, Scott. Um, your Welsh um, thing. Obviously you played with the twenty ones and the B, I think as well. And you got on the bench a couple of times for the for the first team. Like looking back, is there any frustration or like uh, just like regret? I guess that you didn't get to make that full cap. No, certainly not. You know, I mean, it was a it was a pleasure and a privilege for me just to be in and around those types of players in those days. You know, I mean, you know, I remember Gary Speed was the captain, and God bless him, he, he was the first one. He was at the hotel uh, front waiting for me as I got called up because I was called got called up late for my first one, um, and took me into the lads, introduced me to everyone. You know, for me, it was just amazing to be around them, and. Certainly no regrets for me. It was just a, a pleasure and a privilege to be in and around training with them guys. Top man, Scott, I gotta say. Top top man. It's um But there's that side, there's no there's no better there's no better feeling in, in, in the world than 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 being involved in at your country if that's schoolboy level to under sixteen, under eighteen, under twenty one to be level to full squad, you know what I mean? That 
I get asked the same question about about regrets not being it, not not make the full squad. But to represent my country at any level, you know, I was very fortunate to do it at under twenty one level with a, in a very very strong side. By the way, it was just it was a dream. I, I never expected it. So for me, it was a bonus. Not it wasn't anything that I expected to do further. It was something that I treasured. I'm proud of it. Nobody can ever take it away from me. You've got the caps to prove it. You've got the shirts to prove it, and it's something that you just you take with you forever. And it's just a, a moment in your in your career which. For me, it's a pinnacle. You know, I mean, people talk about uh, Champions League now, the biggest tournament in the world. But for me, there's something special about where standing there in a in a in a line, singing a national anthem, and then be giving your cap and, and wearing that shirt. And for me, the three lines was just there was they didn't get any better. And I, I imagine the feeling of doing it for the full squad would be just wow, would be just something. Mental, it's mental. I was talking to. Um... Um, one of the cam lads the other day, one of the local lads here, we talked about international football and I was changed. I mean, I remember playing under-21 football um, all underway on the Friday night um, and then jumping in the car, going straight to the airport, flying back from Holland to into London at like 12 o'clock that night, landing in Eastrow, jumping in the car, driving to the stadium, having three, four hours kip on the physio bed and then starting in uh, <laughs> on a Saturday afternoon for Cardiff, yeah. two nights. Yeah, well, that's the, two days. And that's yeah. the, and, and obviously we've we've said this before, haven't we, Si, about um, about about the level of players at the minute. If it's League One, they don't get the games called off unless you have what some like three or four yeah. internationals taken away. And that, it's just the expectation on the players is just ridiculous, isn't it? The travelling is not is not viable anymore. You know what I mean? Having to play two games in two days is just is just outrageous. You know what I mean? That the, the pressure that puts on your body. It itself yeah. is is just a ridiculous thought, but you you would never say that nowadays in 2021. You know, I mean, players need four or five days to get over travel, and never mind a game. It's just ridiculous. It's so pumping now; it's just absolutely scary. Yeah, it's frightening, Scott. What about um, like we know things have changed from back in the day to now in terms of how players are off the field, and like Andy's talked a few times about, you know, the the going out and and whatnot. Like, what we, what was it like for you being a like a hometown lad? Were you one who would have a couple of beers, sort of in and around Cardiff, or you know where you were living at the time, or did you try to keep a bit of a low profile when you weren't training and playing and stuff? Uh, yeah, certainly low profile. Um, I mean, there was there was a number of years, sort of when I was in my early pro years that. They were trying to get me to move to Cardiff, sort of to be closer to the club and that. But I used to always love going, obviously, back to the Ronda where I grew up. I could sort of, obviously, there's still thousands of Cardiff fans, but I could sort of go back out of the way, quiet in the house or even in the local pub on a Sunday afternoon. You know, I could go in there and just enjoy one or two pints with my, with my dad and just chill, really. And I wasn't a big one to go up in the town and that, really, if I'm being honest. I was more of a local guy who um, enjoyed being with his mates and being one of those, really. And uh, I've always been around the boy and I always will be one, you know what I mean? And that'll never change. What was um, what was the bigger party? Uh, after the Leeds game or after the Millennium Stadium game against QPR? It was a tough one, to be fair, because they were both great parties. I mean, Millennium Stadium went on when went, went on for about a week, though, didn't it? Well, I, I could tell you a quick story. My accountant, um, who had done a bit of work for me at the time of obviously Cam's goal at Millennium, um, we couldn't find him the day after, 
um, <laughs> and he had fallen asleep um, at one of the banks. I think it was Midland Bank on on the main street in Cardiff. He used to walk into the into the bank those days, and he could use the cash machines inside the bank in there. And he he sort of moved one of the, the cash machines to the side and fallen asleep sort of by the side. Of it he couldn't, and the doors were locked on a Sunday, so he couldn't get out. <laughs> <laughs> lost in, um, in a short listen they were both great parties um, I must say as a group and uh, as a squad the Millennium Party afterwards was incredible I remember I, I, I remember obviously the game was a Sunday and uh, obviously we, we went out on a Sunday we ended up going to a do with the Marriott I think it was and then we dispersed here then everywhere and then we, we didn't see each other on the Monday but we all met on the Tuesday, Tuesday. Um, at Cardiff Bay, didn't we? Because I think a few players got released as well, which was obviously yeah. uh, disappointing because we were such a, a good group and such a um, such togetherness within within the group. But And I've said this, I've said to Gav and I've said to other people and other people have said it, that my goal was a great, it was a, it was, a, it was a great goal for the club and for the group of players, but for some players it was the, the end and it, the and end. it meant that, that, that they weren't kept on and because they probably would have got a contract if that call hadn't gone in because they were the club was what was needing to go to another level. They were bringing in Alan Lees and the Mitchell Langleys yeah. and, uh, and other players, and it was just it was just it's hard to take, isn't it? Because we we were such a, a a good group, such so close. But uh, going back to that, uh, the Tuesday was just as good as the Sunday, even though the Sunday was amazing. The, the Tuesday was just as good, and it just it, it was just this, and it was you could go anywhere you wanted and not have to put your hand in your pocket to get a drink, and it was yeah. nice to enjoy a a drink together and to celebrate something that we've that we worked so hard for because you've got to remember 12 months previous we we had the worst night in my football career um yeah. uh, and i drove back straight after that game down to, to the northeast after stoke and it was horrific it was absolutely horrific i did a seven hour drive and by the time i got back to my house in middlesbrough i was still thinking about what I just what had just happened and i just couldn't get over it i couldn't get my head and my mind ready for another season in, in that league because i just wanted to get out of it so much but thankfully Twelve months later on, to probably to the day we, we managed to get out of it, which is which is great. And uh, yeah. I think that the relief and the amount of drink consumed that that week was just phenomenal. And I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. I remember the walk. I think the walk was the best from sort of the Millennium. I remember we had a few beers yeah. in the Millennium after we walked on St Mary Street to somewhere on sort of just off Mill Lane and, and all the fans and that. Well, it was just incredible uh, just to see everyone think, enjoying it. Not yeah. just obviously the players, the fans, families. Everyone was a, it was a massive sort of party yeah. for everyone. But I think that's so important, side that we spoke, haven't we, about 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 the family club, about the, the the Cardiff City. You know what I mean, the family, because it wasn't just the players; it was everybody was in it together. You know what I mean? We were all pushing to get out of that about mm. that, that out of that division. It was about um, the the season, the two seasons previous, about getting promoted against York out of Division Old Division Three into Division Two to get to the Championship. It was mm. just so important that those progressions were made. You know, what I mean, people talk about the goal, but that group. Where the where Cardiff City are currently, and where they have been in the Premier League, um, if it wasn't for that group, two thousand three, four, five, two earlier, um, they wouldn't have been in the Premier League two seasons yeah. ago. And it's so important that every single player, the um, the Mark Bonners who didn't get much credit, the Ezra uh, yeah, yeah. Evans, you know, we didn't play many games, the Gav Gordons who didn't get the the, the game time that year because yeah. even I didn't play much that year. You know what I mean? So it was. It was difficult that those players played a huge part because they pushed each other individually, collectively, and it was, great, you know, what I mean, yeah. for, for me it was great because I had friends pushing me, I had teammates pushing me, and and then I pushed other people, and we then that, that's what made it a success, and that, and, that, and that for me it was never gonna, um, never gonna stop because we had that that togetherness, which was absolutely fantastic. No, hundred percent, yeah, I agree with you. 
Spot on. It's, um, those years changed the face of Cardiff City for, for right up to the modern day. And I think um, everyone who's a Cardiff fan who lived through that era or looks back on that era, they understand the importance of players like you two, people like Sam Amman, regardless of what you think of Sam Amman and things that have gone on since. Like, if it wasn't for Sam Amman, Cardiff would have gone bust and they wouldn't have been the Cardiff City. And, you know, all the players who, who were around at that era, your Cavs and your your Gabadons and your James Collins, and, you know, there's so many, you too many to name, of course. But, like, they changed the the face of Cardiff City forever. And I think that's why people look back so fondly on the Leeds game, on the Millennium Stadium, because it literally changed everything. Because before that, it was not always happy times, even though they were yeah. happy day they were happy days, but not necessarily happy memories in terms of what was you know what was being achieved, should we say. Um Scott and Andy, to finish off, mate, I am um, Kind of just want to talk very quickly about um, Peter Whitnam. Um, the club finally played tribute to him uh, on Saturday, and, and and of course the fans as well. Um, I uh, have to admit, watching like the that flag go across the the ground and 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 whatnot was um, it was quite emotional, and I found it very difficult to to process it and to watch. I find it difficult to talk about, it. and like I met him once. For about 10 seconds and just the impact that he had as a footballer um on my football club and my football watching was just incredible um and just i find it very difficult it's which i find in another way it's almost like a bit stupid that you get emotional about someone you didn't know but uh is a, a true legend and a, a true legend of Cardiff City. In my opinion, one of the greatest players to ever play for Cardiff City. Vastly underrated footballer. And um, I thought it was a great tribute. I hope that's not the end of the tributes because um, I believe that he deserves all the tributes. Um, I would not be against naming a stand um, after him or something like that. Um, I thought it was outstanding. But um, he created some phenomenal memories for us as Cardiff City fans. Um, and I guess I was just hoping to see that um, or hear from Andy and from Scott just really uh, any memories or or thoughts on, on Peter Whitnam and, and the tributes from the weekend, really. Um, Scott, you go first, mate, and then Andy can finish us off then before we go. <laughs> you know, I was, I was one of the fortunate ones, I think, that Knew him, um, obviously knew him before I took over as caretaker manager, um, socialised a little bit with him prior to that and then had that relationship as sort of manager, assistant manager, player. And there's no better words I can say for the guy. He's, he's just simply the best. He, he was the best on and off the pitch. An incredible guy. And, you know, he said a lot, like Cam said, Previous, you know, to a lot of players, but this guy was special on and off the pitch. Um, still can't believe he's gone. Um, I had a WhatsApp message today off the security guy at Cardiff City, a guy called Steve, who'd come across a picture and sent it to me. Like Wits, like me and Russell Slade, and Wits talking to us. And it's just, it's just still surreal that he's no longer with us. And the, 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 for me, um, 
in my years at Cardiff City and what I can remember, by far the best football player that club has ever had. And on top of that, by far the best person. Yeah, I've, um, I've heard that he's an outstanding human being as well. Um, Andy, anything to add, mate? First and foremost, what great words. Uh, I'm, I'm a Cardiff City legend, absolutely brilliant. Um, one thing that got me at the weekend was uh, the, the, the flag and everything was absolutely amazing and the tribute and the fans were brilliant, but it was the picture um, of him and his son, which it, it, it just it just blew me away. You know what I mean? That We forget sometimes that these people are normal people. These people are family men. They're, they're, they're husbands, they're sons, the brothers for people and the dads for the, the, the kids. And I think we just look at them as a footballer and they're not footballers. You know what I mean? They're, they're just normal, genuinely nice human beings. And um, that day we lost a, a very, very special young man. And um, I was very fortunate. I met him a couple of times. Uh, I played in Kev's testimonial game with him. Um, lovely, lovely to me. He was we were having a good chat about football, good chat about life. Um, obviously, when Cardiff City got promoted against Ipswich Town, we... We had a good chat again, just about general stuff, about Premier League, about players, about this, about just a general chit chat. And I just agree with Young United you know, there about it. just a generally nice, nice fella. You know, what I mean, he didn't have to have a conversation with me. Didn't have to spend his time. He he just been promoted to the Premier League. It was a, a huge thing. But to, to take time out of his day to come and speak to me was just um, was just brilliant. And uh, I I couldn't thank him enough for that for that night and that and, and his time. So you know, I mean, when I heard the news, yeah, it was so sad. But I'm glad that Cardiff have have, have done something. Um, I do agree. I think more can be done. Uh, I think there's a, and there's other there's other things as well. By the way, they can talk about Chris Parker, yeah. we can talk about other people. But there's listen, does Cardiff have had such a bad time in the last thirty six months with things with Emiliano Salah and Chris Parker and and and, and Wits and, and other things? Just listen, it's, it's, it's it was one thing after another, and 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 and, and, and COVID with the loss of supporters and things, and it's. it's absolute nightmare and you know what I mean I, I I just think that the club's done something which is which is great first game back with the fans and and hopefully he can he can he can keep that legacy going um with for whatever reason I think if some fans can get involved with certain things I think it'll be great I know Donna likes to get self involved um feel free to send send the club an email or something um I'm sure they'll listen um very very quickly would you retire the number seven shirt because um, I think that is, it's not very often that I would say that that is uh, the right thing to do, but I actually think in this case it is. Um, oh, listen, listen, Sai, if, we, if, we, if we're going to, um, if we're going to have a light-hearted way to finish, um, if Birmingham City retires Jude Bellingham's number, yeah. then Cardiff City can can yeah. retire yeah. with his number, you know what I mean, for a Absolutely. serious reason, you know what I mean? So for me, yes, I think, yeah, you know what I mean? And that's, and that's, because it's a genuinely nice thing to do and the right thing to do for a football club. Because he was a he was a legend, a great man, and a fantastic footballer. And for those three reasons alone, I think the answer is yes. Spot yeah. on. It. Obviously, you know, if if Carlos City are going to do it for anyone, they're going to do it for Wits. He was um, simply the best. There's nothing else to say about that. Yeah, hundred percent. Great way to finish, by the way. Absolutely. I thought it was the uh, appropriate way to finish this evening. Um, guys, thanks for watching. Thanks for all your questions. I know that we didn't get to some of them. 
Um, I did try my best to get through as many as we could, um, but obviously we wanted to get to get some stories out of Scott and some memories of uh, his incredible career. Uh, please do subscribe to the YouTube channels, share all the shows, all that good stuff. Uh, we'll be back on Friday for the Championship Show at 7 o'clock. Please join us, spread the word. Uh, download the audio version from the Sports Social, which will be out in the morning. Uh, and most of all, Scott Young, thanks for joining us, Brent. Always, really enjoyed it. Um, keep going. Comes, I'll be in touch for the next charity ride, is it? <laughs> mate, yeah, I can't wait. I've only just recovered, mate. My back has just recovered, mate. So I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Cheers, guys. Thanks for the invite. Really enjoyed it. Loved it, mate. Thanks very much. Keep going. Don't Good man. stuff. Good night. God bless. See you later. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Network.